Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Rick White wrote Before and Beyond Understanding in hopes to have a positive impact on the reader's life. From his being in the army to dealing with chronic illness, he put his heart into sharing the lessons that has helped him along his personal path. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Poetic Resurrection. Today, we have Rick White, the author of Before and Beyond Understanding, Welcome. How are you? I am extremely well. Thank you. I hope you are as well. And uh, I am delighted to be here. Thank you very much. We did a lot of talking on the pre-interview, which went on for a couple hours because it was so interesting. Tell me your journey. Why before and beyond understanding? Well, my journey began as when I was a young man, very young man, as a very angry person. I I had what I would consider to be some difficulties in my childhood growing up. Uh, It made me angry. Uh, It left me with an impression that the way to achieve was through anger and violence. And I was headed in a very, very bad direction. Uh, I had my successes in business, but my personal life was just not correct. I went into uh, a situation where I went to California for a job. And while I was there, I met some really amazing individuals who really gave me a different perspective on how my life was becoming its, its own reality. And we create our own reality. So I learned from them, there are other ways. Now, again, I don't want to in any way, shape or form indicate that I am in favor of people doing uh, drugs to help them with anything, not without professional assistance. I grew up in that culture of drugs rock and roll and sex. That was our reality at the time that I was growing up. As a result of some psychotropic experiences that I had, I really began to see a completely different way of behaving. So much so that my pendulum swung to being ridiculously calm and and not affected by almost anything. And then that was not healthy either. So I eventually reached the middle ground, but I met some amazing people along the way, not just from the experiences of the uh, psychotropic experiences that I had, but people who were, in my mind, just incredible mentors. Uh, One, uh, you know, again, I can go on and on about several of them, but the one that stands out that really made the, the greatest change so quickly was a gentleman named Von Meter. Von Meter was a comedian who did an album of John F. Kennedy that was brilliant, truly brilliant. He sounded identical. You could not tell them apart. And his comedy was sensational. But Von Meter was, in my, at least my understanding, just a brilliant, brilliant person with an incredible mind. And I remember one day when we were talking that I was complaining about the fact that I was feeling great. And all of a sudden, I got a gut punch that just really took me down and brought me from on top of the world to, you know, being at the bottom of the barrel. And I was complaining, complaining about and he sat there quietly and listened and let me go on and on. And then he said something to me about the way that you get out of that place that you're in, that bottom of the barrel, is to stop fighting to get back to the top. 
He said, the more you fight, the greater the negative energy is that you bring upon yourself. And so it's harder to get back to the top. I began to think about what he said, and I tried to put in my mind something that would be a way to explain it to other people. And my first impression was log rolling. And then I thought, no, I pictured myself at the top of a water wheel. At that point, enjoying the view and the beauty and everything that was perfect at the water wheel. And then I got pushed off. But when you get pushed off or you fall, you always fall forward. So you're going in the same direction as the wheel. And that drops you right down to the churning water at the bottom of the wheel. Well, again, according to Von Meter, if I were fighting that and trying to get back to the top, I would be bringing in negative energy and not accomplishing anything. His suggestion was stop. Don't fight it, except that's where you are at the moment. And then reach up while you maybe pushed on the water, reach up and a paddle wheel will come by and pick you up by your arm that you're reaching up with and lift you right back up to the top. And that to me was the way that I've been able to explain it to other people and help other people understand, don't fight the negativity. We are surrounded by negativity. And when we are dropped into a space of negativity and fight it, we increase the amount of negativity. My book, everything, and I don't mean to indicate the book, but my concepts, all of what I believe in is about positivity. How do we go from this negative energy that we are surrounded by and put it into something positive? I did want to say on what you were saying is those are really wise words. They were wise words from a very wise man. And I, again, I have been blessed. And I mean, I, I cannot even begin to describe the number of people who have come into my life who have been mentors, who have brought lessons that have made me what I believe to be is a comfortable, uh, serene, at peace, and positive human being. There are people who may not believe in things like channeling. I went to a channel, uh, happened to be a woman who channeled an entity named Ramtha. Ramtha was very popular at a time when I was, again, evolving, or I consider myself to be evolving. I remember at a, an event that I attended with him, we were doing a meditation. And there were about 50 or 60 people. It was a, in a gymnasium, actually. I hadn't said anything to him. He hadn't said anything to me. And I was uh, sitting there and I was meditating. And he actually, it was a she. Uh, she's, uh, his uh, entity came through, a woman named Jay-Z Knight. Uh, anyway, he came over to me and he said to me, how dare you? Where do you think you have the right or the privilege to interfere in someone else's path. The path that they are on is what they chose. And what he was referring to, what I was thinking of, was my kid sister at the time was going through some really difficult times with drugs. She had a very young child, and I was very concerned about the child. So much so that when I got a call from my niece saying, I can't wake mommy up, I began to wonder if I should call child protective services. And he said to me during this, they will accomplish what they have set out to do on their path. That is their path. You have no right to interfere. So let it be. And I just realized he's right. They're on their path. I am on my path. If they come to me for something to assist them on their path, then I am involved. If they don't come to me, then it is not my job to change or alter the path that they are on. 
But didn't the little girl come and help ask you for help? No. What she did was she couldn't wake up mommy. Okay. So I spoke to her for about a half an hour. Her father came home. Everything turned out to be fine. As it was, it turned out to be okay. It could have turned out different. I absolutely agree it could have turned out different. What I found to be most incredible was how Ramtha absolutely understood and knew what I was going through and addressed it without anybody saying anything to anyone. He just came and addressed the issue. It's pretty fascinating. So things like that, yes, the things like that have happened. Again, I'm a firm believer in, you know, things like guardian angels. Uh, You know, I believe that each of us has at least one or probably more guardian angels. And I have had instances in my life where I should have had catastrophic result and didn't. And I believe it was because of intervention from a force outside of my understanding. Nonetheless, it kept me from, again, some disastrous result. So uh, just an example, because I know it's hard to speak in, in such generalities. When I was moving from New York to actually Florida, and I was heading south, I was uh, in my car towing a van. And in my van, I had placed all of my very precious things, my plants, my stereo, you know, all the things that, that I didn't want the mover to take. So I had taken that in the van. And as I'm going into North Carolina, there was a very, very bad ice storm and the roads got icy and I was going over a bridge and as I'm going over this bridge, it's a very long bridge, I was sideswiped by this car. It was a Mustang. And it put the back, the van I was towing, out of control. And my car just started going back and forth. And I started heading toward the edge of the bridge where they have the guardrail. And below it was probably a 40 or 50 foot drop. And I was heading straight for it. And as I reached the abutment, as I reached that bridge railing, the van swung out and pulled my car away from going over the edge of the bridge. Wow. How that happened, I have absolutely no idea. It then swung me to the other side of the road. And I'm a scuba diver. I was stuck in that space, but I had scuba lights, which are very bright. So I was signaling vehicles because the road was all icy and very slippery. And a truck is coming, and I can see it. It's a half a mile. I measured it. Truck is coming, and it is moving. And I'm trying to signal it with my light. It's not going to stop. It's not going to slow down. So I started to run. I jumped over the median. And just laid down, and he just absolutely destroyed both my van and my car, completely destroyed. All of my things were scattered for about a half a mile down the road. And I went and got a a rental truck and picked up what was left, what I could save. But I believe that if it hadn't been for a guardian angel, I would have gone over that bridge uh, I wouldn't be here at this point in time, or I would have been that, you know, somehow some of the, you know, the debris from, from the accident would have hit me and caused me pain. And I came out of it with no scratches. Wow. It was really quite amazing. So again, I believe that there are other forces that affect your life. And I've had many of those experiences, including near death. I want to know, talk about near death because There's a a neurosurgeon talked about his and he thought, oh, that doesn't exist. He was just a science man until he had brain inflammation, went into a coma and actually went on the other side and came back. And he's like, oh, it exists. And so now he talks a lot about it. But yeah. So can you explain how I don't know if it's getting too deep, but would you like to tell the audience about your near-death experience? Sure. Uh, I can tell you that it is not what I would have expected 
or what I have heard was norm, which is people indicating a tunnel, a light at the end of the tunnel, and people that they love at the end where the light is. That was not my experience at all. My experience was one that I would have to describe as being in two separate realities with the ability to momentarily place myself in either one. One reality being very ethereal and one reality being what I refer to as dense matter, which is what I consider where we are right now. It would be as if I had stepped one foot down in the ethereal, I would be in the ethereal. And people who were important in my life, still in my life, not who had passed, uh, were very, very visible and very, very acutely in my reality. If I stepped down the other side, I was in dense matter. And it was as if I was home, uh, back, you know, back in the hospital or back on the earth plane. But what was interesting to me is there wasn't any need for me to choose one or the other. In my mind, it did not matter if I went ethereal or I went dense matter. Nothing like that existed. Now, at that time, both my mother and father were terminally ill, and they had made a pact a decade prior, that if the quality of life ever reached a point that it was not worth living, they would jointly end their lives. My mother had a great fear. And one of the things she asked me when I explained to her that I had had that experience was, were you afraid? And I tried to explain to her that the concept, the word, the thought, the emotion did not exist at all. There was no such thing. It was just experiencing this duality of realities and nothing more than that. And again, no urgency as to which way I should decide to put my foot down really quite. And quite how long were you in that state? I mean, the minutes? I don't know. It, it, probably minutes. I don't know exactly. It was very interesting because it, I don't want to go into the name of the hospital, but the hospital that, uh, that I was in had completely misdiagnosed me. And I had also had a severe laceration to my hand, which had severed my tendon for a week. They never attended that. They never went, did anything. I had prior to this, just prior to this experience, I had been down having an examination where the doctor determined that I was hemorrhaging internally. And I said to him, what are my chances? You know, because we were kidding around. I do that to everybody. And I said, what are my chances of survival? He said, 60, 40, you will not make it, but 40% chance you're going to make it. So, you know, you've got a good chance. I went upstairs and when I got upstairs, the nurse said to me, are you ready for your surgery? I said, what? She said, the hand surgeon is here. He's going to attempt to repair that, that cut tendon. And I said to her, I was just told that I might not survive. And I said, you can tell the hand surgeon to please take all of his equipment and put it where the sun doesn't shine, because quite frankly, I'm a little frightened right now. And I went into bed. That was it. And then I remember being revived. So I have no clue how long I was in that state. It may have been moments. It may have been minutes. Uh, I have no idea whatsoever. And I never spoke to anyone about it. Wow. Did they ever fix your hand after that? I, interesting. After that, I called my personal physician and I said, get me out of here now. They sent an ambulance for me, took me to a different hospital. At that point, it was like four in the morning. He came to the hospital. We discussed what should be done. He called in a surgeon 
the uh, hemorrhaging was on what was a tumor on my uh, left kidney. So he brought in someone and they surgically removed my kidney. The same day, now this is never, never supposed to be done. Mm-hmm. That was in the morning. It, like, it must have been six o'clock, I guess, by the time I went to surgery. That late afternoon, maybe four or five o'clock, they brought me back up to surgery again. And the nurse there must have been working a 12-hour shift because she said, you can't be in here. I said, they just sent me up for a surgery. She said, for what? I think, I said, I think it's the tendon on my left hand. She said, no, you already had anesthesia. You can't go in for a second anesthesia and have surgery. Well, don't ask me why they did the surgery. It repaired the tendon on my hand. They had to actually cut and go up all the way into my arm above my hand because the tendon had receded because for so long it had been unattended. But, you know, now we're talking about the medical system and we don't need to do that. There are some great doctors and there are some just terrific doctors and some awful doctors. I am blessed. I think I had mentioned this to you. I am at end stage renal failure and I have some of the most incredibly wonderful physicians that exist on the planet earth. So I couldn't be happier. I'm delighted. I, and I am never, never in fear. That's good never. because that is kind of scary, but since I guess you've already experienced what it might be like, exactly. that it's not exactly. scary. It's actually more peaceful. I've read a lot about people that have had near death experiences. What they, some of them are like, Oh, why did you bring me back? Yeah. There was one about a, a woman that who's a doctor went kayaking in South America and went un, got trapped under a rock and was underwater for a half hour. Oh my gosh. Oh yes. And she actually lived, did not have any brain damage. She talks about it all the time, how she also another medical professional didn't believe in this. And she says she saw them trying to resuscitate her. And she's like, why? But she wanted to stay and she was told it's not your time. We, we can get into the, the physics of the reality of what we are. We are basically a form of energy. Okay. I mean, our soul is some type of energy. Energy can never be lost. It can only transfer its existence into some other format. Exactly. So uh, the soul can never disappear. It can change. My personal belief is that the soul moves on into another body. We go through learnings through each of our existence. It's kind of like I relate it to going through school. We start in kindergarten. We make our way up to high school. We get our graduate degree from high school and go to college. We go to college and get a degree, and then we go on for a master's, and then we go on to a PhD. And each reality, each incarnation is like another grade. Now, getting from kindergarten to the PhD, and the PhD to me is moving on to another understanding beyond humanity. I believe that there is another understanding beyond humanity. I think humanity is limited in its understanding. Whether that's one lifetime or a hundred lifetimes, the goal is to get to the PhD so that you have evolved within yourself to the kind of being or the kind of entity that is ready to move on to something greater than humanity. Now, people think humanity is all great and wonderful. And I won't complain about my being human and existing in this reality. But I believe we're limited. I believe that we can't combine with other entities. And I believe everything that God created is sentient. Everything. Whether people believe the ocean is sentient or whether the planet Earth is sentient, which I very much believe because she's getting very angry with us now understandably. Oh, yes. All the hurricanes and tornadoes and the heat and the earth. I mean, it's just 
major natural disasters. Because we're treating her so badly. Yes. And and she has no choice but to respond. Her sentience is saying, stop doing this. You are devoiding this planet of what it was made for, its beauty, and you and everything on it are going to disappear if you don't stop hurting yourselves and me. And I believe that. Yeah, well, look at how the planet happened. It's like when people talked about the flood, science would say, oh, that in the Bible, then that doesn't exist. But now they're finding there was a flood at one time. And now they're thinking maybe a solar flare hit. There's certain beliefs that we are on the fifth or sixth age of man. Man has existed before the ice age. Man has existed before the flood. Right. All you need is one natural thing. And now they're doing all this with Mars. Oh, we got to go to Mars because it's not it's going to happen. But when? But that's okay. If we go to Mars, who's to say that Mars won't get hit by a solar flare before Earth does? You know, we don't we don't know. It'd be nice to have two options. Yeah, it'd be nice. I think if it's our time to go our age of man, then it's our time to go, which is so sad because we there's so many people we love and we would love this beautiful planet to continue. But with all the hate and everything on that, you know, it's like an ulcer on your skin. If you have an ulcer on your skin, you're going to get rid of it. We're going to work on getting rid of it. I, I believe that we are seeing a huge dichotomy. Oh, my God. Yes. Of the positive and the negative, for lack of a better term. What that is going to create is a paradigm shift. So either the paradigm shift will go toward ending things as we know it in this world, or the paradigm shift will go to correcting the things that need to be corrected. I personally believe we will not only move forward and correct what needs to be corrected, but we will actually move beyond and be able to go beyond this planet. And I believe that mankind will continue. I would love that to happen because I'm empathic and I can sense things happening. And it breaks my heart to see people hate each other. It just, it's like, why? And then I think about, I I was talking to somebody and they were a conspiracy theorist, but you know, sometimes those theories come, come to be true. But they said something, well, I know people in the military and they were telling me this. And I'm thinking, I go, how do you know that they weren't misinformed? I mean, really, if something's top secret, you think the average person's going to know? I look at it as two different things. Either you're being dripped information of what's going to happen to prepare you, or A, B, and C is happening here that you're getting told about, but they're really doing the EF on the other side. So I don't know. I'm not dismissing any beliefs because I think that's the person's journey and what they believe in. But at the same time, anything, I hope people would ask themselves, where is this information coming from? And does it cause separation? If it causes separation within mankind or your neighbor just because of religion or color or whatever it could be, then that needs to be questioned. Because how you conquer is to divide. If you're constantly dividing people, it's easier to conquer. If you're uniting people, how strong? Could you imagine if everybody in the U.S. stuck together? Well, we almost did that at 9-11. We came close. Yeah. But look what had to happen. Yes. uh, It's an unfortunate instance, but we almost did that. Uh, Now we have begun to, again, this dichotomy seems greater and greater. I am convinced that everybody's reality is what they are building for themselves. The reality of a person who is mentally ill is far different than your reality or my reality, but their reality is true and real and exists for them. Exactly. What's happening with this dichotomy is there are people who are believing, okay, in these conspiracy theories, as absurd as they may or may not be, and they are building the reality by taking that information and putting it into their belief system. Once it's in their belief system, it becomes part of their reality, and it is what they believe 
the reality that exists. Those who don't see it differently, and they see it, myself included, okay, as something very different with amazing potential if we can somehow bridge this gap, if we can somehow find a way to understand that every entity, let's start with just humanity, forget everything else. Every human entity is identical in terms of how we were created. It is a miracle that occurs where a sperm and an egg get together and then this amazing construction starts that we cannot replicate ever. We can clone, but we cannot replicate how that happens. This is a form of engineering that is beyond our understanding, but every human being is identical in its formation. There may be differences in, you know, in hair color, uh, you know, in, in eye color, in, in skin tone. It doesn't matter. The human entity is a human entity. And if we can learn that we are sharing this place that is living and breathing itself and that we need to take care of her and take care of ourselves, then I think we can move in the direction that will be what I believe to be humanity continuation. I feel too much towards humanity because then it gets me upset. I'm like, why is that even an issue? Why is someone being able to go to school an issue? It shouldn't matter if you're poor, rich, or whatever, be able to get educated. My education did not come from school, even though I have accolades on going to a good university and everything. That was not my biggest training. My biggest training has been out in life and learning from the average person. It has not been from anyone with prestige or celebrity or anything like that. It's been the average person that has been my best school teacher. Right. Again, uh, I know many people, this is true, with PhDs that have no understanding of life and who I wouldn't give two cents for their opinions because they are unaware of the reality of life. And all they know is academia. Yes. And that in itself is confining. It's terribly confining. Again, I know some brilliant people, but they cannot carry on a conversation if it isn't about academia. There are other people who have learned through, unfortunately, experiences of family, generational experiences, and they come with a reality that's very different than the one that I come with. Mm -hmm. And it's just as real for them and this is why we're having a problem. What we need to do is find a way for people to understand that no matter what the experience was, no matter what we are as we visually determine one another, we are all basically from the same place. And if we can get to an understanding that we share that, that we share that God energy that is within everyone, everyone, everything, then perhaps, perhaps we can stop some of the incredible bias and trauma that goes on from one generation to another. And I think that much of that is because we've been instilled with so much fear that really has no basis. Even if it does have a basis, it might have happened to someone and you hear well, so-and-so from this guy and this person that they know, I'm like, oh my God, really? There are bad people everywhere of every culture, but there's also great, wonderful people of every culture and everywhere. Exactly. So you cannot judge by one. I'm a survivor of trauma. Now I could have taken, did it affect me? Yes, I think it did. And for very long, I kept asking, what is my lesson here? How, what is my lesson? Because I really feel you pick your life. I could not find a lesson, but I found I can help someone else because of my experience. So your lesson is that you have become an aid. You have become a guide. You have become an assistant to others. A teacher, yeah. 
And that is your lesson. That is my lesson. I'm going to give you the, the dumbest expense. You walk down a dark alley in a bad neighborhood and something happens to you. Okay. Well, it wasn't bright to walk down a dark alley in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood, but the lesson would have been, you know, not to do that next time because this happened to you. My lesson was just so that I know what it's experienced. My experience has been so I can help others. And who are you going to go to if you went through that same trauma? You're not going to go to some person that does, has never experienced it because they wouldn't understand. They could be compassionate about your experience, but they don't know your experience. So that's why I think people like me who have been survivors and yourself, we know they can come to us. We've been there. Exactly. And, and I also have a very strong belief that the difficulties, the times that the traumas occurred in my life were my choice, my path, my choice. I chose to be where I was. I chose to do what I did. It was not something that happened to me. I am a firm believer. Nothing happens to you that you don't plan in your path. That somehow along the way, that's part of what you do so that you then, in, in your particular instance, have an ability now to help others through the same or similar difficulty that you experienced. Mm -hmm. Had you not done that, had you not chosen that, and again, I believe you did choose to do that, to have that experience, you would never be able to be able to help someone. So as negative as we tend to think things are, think more positively that we chose them for the learning that they will provide for us and potentially for what we can then do to help the rest of humanity. Because one of the traumas, I was very young. I was a child. As a child, it must have been the soul to pick it because a child doesn't know. Right. It had to be the soul to pick the lesson. And yes. it was something that I needed to go through and teach others and be supportive of others. For that one, I understand. I mean, I've done really stupid things too that I... <laughs> Know that. Yeah, but we choose to do them. <laughs> okay, I did a stupid thing and now it's coming back to me. But you know that you could pinpoint it. Yeah. And, and again, forgive me for, you know, for harping on this, but all the stupid things I've done, and there have been many, I've done for a reason because something came out of it. We don't know it at the time, but in retrospect, we do. I believe that we create our own reality. I, I believe that we manifest everything that happens to us. So when we do something foolish, when we do something stupid, it's a choice we made. And my gut reaction to those things normally, not all the time, obviously, is I did that for a reason. And there's got to be something that I can gain from that stupid act. So what can I gain from that stupid act? What should I not do again? What have I learned from that stupidity? What is it that I may be able to pass on as something positive for someone else? And I really do see as much as possible. Again, I wish I could say I do it all the time, but that's not, that's not who I am. But I do find that Often, when I do something foolish, I really examine why did I choose to do that? Because obviously, it's my choice. You know, again, I'm not at all a believer in things happening to us as a result of external forces. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you a perfect example. Okay. I was very athletic when I was younger. I played what we call rough touch football. So I was 35 years old. And at age 35, I could keep up with the guys, but they weren't breathing as heavy as I was. <laughs> so I realized it was time for me to probably stop. But the one thing that I do remember is no matter what happened to me, if I was hit or, you know, or somebody tripped me or something happened to me, my choice was to make it to that game. Mm 
My choice was to be in that spot at that time. Nobody else made that choice. And as a result, something occurred, an injury or maybe just, you know, something else. But everything that happens was something that I chose to happen. I made the choice to be there, to do that, and eventually get involved in whatever the situation was. And I think most people don't want to believe that they have such power in their life. Most people want to believe this happened to me, not that I chose for it to happen. And I think that's a mistake. I believe it's a mistake. I don't think. I believe it's a mistake. I believe no matter what occurs, we created that. And there was probably a reason. I am not that smart, but I wish I were to be able to understand (laughs) the reasons why we do the things we do. And sometimes the result come out negatively. We can take that negative result and turn it into something positive if we can understand what happened and why. And that's how I want to live my life. That's what I believe in. I think it's so true when we go through that, but to think that we don't have any power, that is the hard part. We, we think that life is out of our grasp, but it's not, it's our life. Exactly. So we have total say on what our life is. But then there's also a time that I have been afraid of my power. I knew I was powerful, but I was afraid to own it because I was under the misconception that I would hurt people if I had power. I was associating power with being unkind. And I had to learn that power does not have to be unkind. Power is just power. And how you choose to use it is what makes it positive or negative. But it's just a lesson. You don't know if it's positive or negative. Hopefully we learn. Again, we learn. To me, all the power is contained within our personal reality. Mm -hmm. That's where the power is. We are, in my understanding, manifesting creatures. We manifest our reality. We live it, we make it, we create it, and we learn from it or we don't. And that's what makes the difference between person A and person B. I don't know if I'm an A or a B. I don't know if I'm a D or a Z. I have no clue. I know that what matters to me is, is there something that I can do to help bring positivity into this world? I believe that if you picture a candle in your mind, mm-hmm. And you see that light as love and you expand that light to surround you. And then you expand it beyond where you are in that space and you expand it out into space. Then you are sending love into the universe. And that is what the universe needs. That is what will help us all the more love that goes out into the universe, the more love will come back. And that's a good segue into your book because it's before and beyond understanding. So giving that gratitude, can you tell us more about your book? Because it is so true that you have to spread it out and the more energy, the bigger it gets. The book itself covers a vast number of subjects. It is a way to find positivity out of things that we normally don't think of as positive. Mm -hmm. It could be grief. If you lose a person, the depth of that grief is identical to the depth of the love. And if you can take the depth of the grief and understand how much love that is, your grief will diminish. Grief in its its inception is not tolerable. You can't deal with it. But after a while, if you can look at it as 
the loss that I'm feeling is so great that the love that I felt and that I still feel is as great. So that's one thing. And then we t- I, I talk about friendship. I talk about guardian angels. I cover a vast number of subjects, all from the point of how do we see this in a more positive reality, including controlling our reality. You know, we plant the seeds of our reality. We grow those seeds, okay? We nurture that reality. So how you determine what your life is going to be like is how you determine the way you plant your garden. And it's just other things like that, but basically for anyone who's interested in finding the positive side of all these different various subjects, that's what they'll find in the book. Touching back on the grief and the love, and it was someone posted a meme and it said, grief is so painful because it's love, but no one to give it to because they're gone. I never looked at grief that way. I never looked at grief. I mean, I knew grief was you lose someone you love and you care about and it's very heartbreaking. But I never looked at it as because I have so much love that I have no one to give it. That person is gone that I have all this love for. And it's very hard, as I said, especially in the beginning, grief is unbearable. It is something that you cannot, you cannot tolerate, you cannot deal with. But grief has a way of lessening as time passes. It doesn't make your grief less. It makes your ability to tolerate it greater. And once you have that ability to tolerate grief, and you see it for the depth, the depth of the grief as the depth of the love that you feel for that person not or that pet, whatever it may be, whoever you have lost. When you see that, that is enormously empowering mm-hmm. and allows you to feel joy and love and compassion and things that you can't feel when you're going through the depths of grief. Which is weird because I think of many enlightened people who I have talked with, they said they think about death. And I'm like, well, how do you think about death? And some of them are afraid of it. And I'm not afraid of it. I think I've come close to death quite a few times so that it's like, oh, Oh, okay. I get it. I get it. I'm an energy that continues. I totally agree. And, you know, for me, I've had the experience of having gone and come back. So I find death something, I'm not saying I look forward to it, but when it comes, I anticipate it will be an amazingly wonderful transition. Yes. I was telling one of my friends, I said, well, if I was to die, I think I would accept it. And she looks at me like, I go, I'm not, I don't want to die now. <laughs> but, right. Because there's a lot that I still want to do. But I mean, when that time comes with me doing all this searching, it's just a transition. It's like you have a bottle or a vase that's got water in it. All you're doing is emptying out the water. The water is still there. Even if it evaporates and it still becomes part of the air, it just becomes something else. Exactly. And the vessel is just a vessel. Right. Now, you know, we're housed in a temporary home yes. for the soul. And the soul continues to move on and hopefully continues to evolve. Yes. And that's, you know, that's what I look for in my life, to continue my evolution, hopefully spread some joy along the way. Yeah, that's what I I felt a a great desire to help people. After, not after, we're still in the pandemic, but during it, it was like such a draw. Like I, I have to help people. I have to extend myself. How can I do it? And then, you know, you go through a period, you don't know how to, to help. And that's why I started this podcast to see what I can do. If I figured I could get to more people this way than going out on the street and like posting a sign or something or trying to create a nonprofit or anything like that. 
No, this is not only a wonderful way to reach people, but it's a very safe way to reach people. Yeah. And in this time, you know, even now with with the vaccine, uh, this new variant and potential new variants that may come afterward, this is a very safe way of reaching out and touching people. Yes. And keeping them entertained in the meantime. I do like doing the show because when we had a couple laughs on this interview and everything, and it's, it's just nice to really connect because you get to connect with people you normally would never connect with. Right. I totally agree. And, uh, you know, I, I have said this to you both in writing and in person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am delighted that we have had an opportunity to connect because I, nothing happens by chance. As I said, everything is intentional. Exactly. Somewhere along the way, we have intended to be in each other's paths. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a beautiful thing. I agree. I just love, even if it's for a moment, because sometimes you interview people, you're never going to talk to them again or see them again. There's such a beautiful connection while it's there. Mm-hmm. And to be grateful to be able to have guests like you who are so open. And I still want you to tell me more about your book. <laughs> <laughs> What influenced your book? Well, what influenced my book, interestingly enough, was I have a grandson who is now 22. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to leave him something of myself. So my initial thought was I was going to write a fiction book with he and I as the principal characters. Mm -hmm. And I started to write it and I realized this is not going to give him a sense of who I am. The sense of who I am is what I believe and how I behave in my life, which unfortunately he's up in New Jersey. I'm down in Florida. Uh, We don't have enough opportunity to see each other. And with my particular illness, I am not able to travel. I'm confined because of my dialysis three days a week. I wanted him to be able to understand who I am as a human being what my beliefs are, and how it might be able to affect him in a positive way as well. I began to write the book uh, at a time when I believe we were going through some particularly difficult and, uh, and unpleasant times, but it gave me an opportunity to reach out and hopefully leave him with something of me once I'm gone. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you for that. No, thank you for allowing me to express it. And again, I have so many people who I've now, I have acknowledged in the book that were vital in my progression to the person I am today, who I happen to like. I am very glad that they were in my life to help me get to this point. Yes. And that is so important because if you don't like yourself, you can't go on to the next step. How could you really like somebody else? Then we expect other people to carry the weight of our insecurities. And nobody can do that for you but you. Of course, you're absolutely 100% correct. Yeah. I had to learn that the hard way. I always thought a man was going to be my knight in shining armor. (laughs) (laughs) not necessarily no and because i'm not a princess either i'm expecting something that i'm not even you know so but you are a great manifesting entity so you are your own white knight you are your own white knight once you see that and you manifest what it intends for you you might just happen to bring somebody by on a white horse. I don't know. Yeah, right. <laughs> that would be weird in Los Angeles, but okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Now watch, I'll go outside today. There'll be a guy on a horse on a white horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously, I'm, I'm fooling, but I'm serious about your manifesting your greatness and, and your worthiness and your peacefulness. And your joy, that comes from you. No one else can bring that to you. No, especially joy. Joy comes from outside. Happiness is an incident that happens to make you happy, but it's not. I find joy is permanent. Joy is here in the heart. 
Absolutely. Now, that doesn't mean to say that people in your life can't bring you joy. I lost one of my very dearest friends uh, a year ago, February, to cancer. Oh. Uh, she was the joy that I encountered all the time. Thought of her, speaking with her, sharing music, you know, things, and she's not even my wife. <laughs> <laughs> but what I'm saying is that there are people that you bring into your life. You choose, again, you choose your path. And bringing this person into my life brought me joy. Joy that I created with her, but joy. So it is something that you bring on your own and you bring with the assistance of others that you've managed to create in your reality. True. There was a great saying that I learned in a meditation. You don't get what you want. You get what you are. Exactly. Uh, that, that, exactly correct. And it just really stuck with me. I go, that is so true. It was a meditation teacher that happened to have said that. And I'm like, I'm going to remember that. There was also a poem. And I don't remember the entire poem. I just remember the last line. Not everything you lose is meant to be a lost. Interesting. Very interesting. That line stuck with me. And, and I see where that is very meaningful. I understand it greatly. Because, you know, sometimes you think, oh, I lost at this or I lost. But then in the long run, you go, no, I'm so glad I did lose at that because I got something better that I really wanted. Creating your own reality. Yeah. And that's what we do. And when people recognize the power of their ability to manifest their reality and are open open to the concepts of connecting to the God energy, there is very little we can't accomplish. I know. And what a beautiful thing it is to feel that peace within yourself. Yes, it is. So in closing, <laughs> Rick, what would you like to, is there anything else you would like to say to the audience? No, I would just like the audience to understand that they are their own teachers. They are their own manifesting entities that create their reality. If they are open to the concept and they go inside, because what you're going to learn to reach what I call God consciousness or to react to God consciousness or interact with God consciousness has to be found from within. It doesn't come from without. I cannot teach it. I cannot emphasize what it is. I cannot manifest it for someone else. But if someone is open, if someone allows themselves to understand their ability to create their reality, that is what will bring them joy. That will, is what will bring them serenity. That is what will bring them what they are hoping for in their lives. But they need to understand they will create it. Yes. They have to be willing to change, too. People are afraid of change, but it's very true. Unless you do it, no one can do it for you. Exactly. No one. Before and Beyond Understanding is available where? Probably the best place is on my website which is www.beforeandbeyondunderstanding.com. The book is available at no profit to me whatsoever. I do not make a penny on the book. The book is sold at what it costs me to print and mail. So they can get it there. They can ask questions if they decide once they have seen parts of the book that they would like greater information or to go into something in greater depth, I will be available and my information is available on my website. Perfect. I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You have been a delight 
And I'm so happy that I was able to meet you and for you to share your story with us. Well, I thank you. Again, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I hope your audience gains some joy and some peace from what we've spoken about. Thank you. And I, I look forward to touching base with you again. Yes, definitely. <laughs> this is not the end. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Available on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, and many other podcast platforms. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.